Okay, at this time we're blessed to have our second message for this afternoon, brought to us by Mr. Curtis Whiteley. I'm on. Okay, I can hear myself now. Well, it's wonderful to be here at the Feast of Tabernacles here, and especially on this day, uh, Youth Day. I don't think I've ever seen that many people, that many children be blessed before, one of them being my own. Uh, but I really appreciated what you said, Steve, uh, because it's so true. Uh, and in fact, it reminded me of a story that I've given before uh, a few years ago at, at the Tulsa Church. Many of you that have known me, known that I've been a part of the Tulsa Church my entire life. And a few years ago, here at this feast, all of the Andrews were in one place. And it had not had happened in quite a few years, because many of them live off, some live in you know, Florida, Louisiana, I think, or Arkansas. I don't know where Mike lives now, but uh, uh, Washington. And so it was interesting, because if you knew... Uh, or were familiar with the Tulsa Church back in the early 90's uh, you knew that John and James but probably more a little bit more John because we were of the same age we kind of ran around together at church and uh, the reason I was telling or I'm wanting to tell Steve that I appreciate what he had to say about the patience that it must take uh, and, it, and it had to have taken for those who were dealing with us especially Miriam and my mother because uh, me and John we were, we were uh, pretty wild uh, we were pretty energetic uh, individuals, uh, very similar in our uh, energy levels. And it's funny because when that feast happened a few years ago, John was here and we were just kind of catching up. We hadn't seen each other in several years. And we were talking about all the different things that we had done when we were kids and how wild we were in the church. And my son Asher was about, oh, probably about four years old, maybe three and a half at the time. And while we were talking about this very thing, my son just runs in the room. I think we were out here in the entrance area, and he's just going 90 miles to nothing. And John looks at me and says, is that your son? <laughs> and I said, yep. And he goes, makes sense. So I thought, I think that when I told that story back in the Tulsa church, I don't think you were there or uh, you were in there at the time. And I just want to make sure that I told that story as I was reminded uh, with the blessing of the children and what Steve had to say. So as you see, the title of my message today is The Courage of Faith as it's on the actual... Uh, the Courage of Faith as it's on the screen here. And this is Youth Day. And I was trying to think of some things to, to talk about that was relevant to our youth. Which obviously, everything in the scriptures is, is important for our youth to understand. Uh, but I was thinking about how this is a difficult world to live in when it comes to Christian principles, especially for young people. You know, if you look at the definition of courage in the dictionary, I just looked up it this morning, the online Merriam-Webster dictionary, courage, the def definition of it, and here in our English language, is the mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. And so it takes courage to be a Christian. It takes courage to have faith and it takes courage to choose the right thing. 
in this world. You know, if you think about it, there's a lot of reasons why it's difficult to choose the right thing sometimes, to, 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 to pursue righteousness. You know, as we go through these holy days, we have different stopping points where we kind of reflect on different parts of God's plan and different things that God wants us to reflect upon and different aspects of the salvation process. You know, we kind of go back and we look at, or we can think back to, uh, you know, Passover and how we reflect on ourselves and how we examine ourselves and how it's, it's that reminder of that covenant, that baptismal step that we took as Christians and, and realizing that we were inadequate and that only the righteous blood of Jesus Christ can cover our sins. But we also learn that that old man, even though we fight and war against it, and even though that we've been baptized, and even though that Christ has covered our sins and forgiven us, that old man, that old woman, that old person still wants to creep up sometimes. Still wants to try to be present. And so, we have this carnal nature that we still have not completely shed. And so in one way, it's difficult sometimes to do the right thing because we have still a carnal nature to us. It's also difficult sometimes because we live in a world that tempts us. There's temptations, and sometimes those temptations are in conjunction with our carnal nature, right? Maybe some of the weaknesses of that old man, and it might have. But also, what makes it difficult sometimes to have that courage of faith, that courage of righteousness, is because the world we live in sometimes brings us fear for many reasons, because we might be scared of the consequences. Let's just think about that. Let's think of that, about that for a moment. Sometimes doing the right thing is hard because temptation in conjunction with our carnal nature. But sometimes it's hard because of the world around us and the pressures that the world brings. How about pressure from our peers, especially when we're young? You know, so often, young people, and we need to realize this, and we need to be cognizant of this as adults. It's so true even to, for us as adults. We're fearful of what people think of us. Well, if, if I do that, or if I talk about that, or if I, you know, maybe there's a situation, if maybe I, I speak up, what would they think of us? You know, maybe it's someone that we like. Maybe it's a situation where uh, something's going down and maybe say, someone's saying something or they're making a decision that's we know maybe not the right one and isn't right and isn't godly. But we like this person. This person likes us. We want to be in good standing with this individual and we want to keep that good standing. And there's pressure and there's it's difficult sometimes to you know, do the right thing because we might feel like I'm letting them down. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna, you know, be offended at me speaking up and saying, hey, you know, this isn't right. This isn't, you know, we shouldn't do this or we shouldn't talk like this or we shouldn't engage in this particular activity. Or it's an uncomfortable confrontation that you might have to have. Let's think about that. Going in opposition to someone because you're standing up for what you believe in can be uncomfortable. It can sometimes bring confrontation. 
And of course, that's not what God wants. God doesn't want us to go around and trying to be confrontational with people. But sometimes in situations, doing the right thing, choosing the righteous path, might bring confrontation. And we have to have the courage to be able to handle and deal with those sometimes difficult situations. And so Mr. Mars here kind of already give me a little bit of an introduction because I'm going to be speaking on Daniel today. And we're going to look at kind of the background of somebody that had the courage to stand up and do the right thing. Even when it meant possibly his life. Now let's go to Daniel the 6th chapter. I want to just kind of start in on this because I know that we're, we've been here quite a while. And I want to make sure that I'm keeping your attention, especially you young ones. And if I don't, you can just get the recording and use it later for, uh, for whenever you have those hard days of sleep. So. But we're going to go to Daniel the 6th chapter. And I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to give us this little context. Because if you know about Daniel, you know that he lived in a pretty difficult situation, especially as a young person, a young individual, a young man. You see, Daniel lived at the the end of Judah's kingdom. We know our Bible history, and if we don't, we can kind of just review it real quick. At the end of Judah's kingdom, the reason it was the end was because they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And so... Judah was destroyed. Jerusalem was besieged by these foreign oppressors known as the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar and his armies came through there and this happened in several different ways. Finally, in 587, I believe it was, 586, Jerusalem was flattened. The temple that was built by Solomon was destroyed. And many of the men, the choice men, as, as, as sometimes the Bible refers to them, the, the wise, the talents of Judah, such as Daniel himself, were taken into captivity away from their home and to Babylon, the center of the Babylonian kingdom. Included among Daniel was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, whose names sometimes you might be a little bit more familiar with. their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But if we look at this story, and we just try to put ourselves in Daniel's shoes, historians actually believe that Daniel was probably around the age of 15. You're 15 years old. You're living in Judah. You know that the leaders of your kingdom, Judah, they haven't been doing the right thing. You know that there has been warnings coming and still the leaders have refused to submit to God. But we know it still must have been difficult. It still must have been difficult for Daniel. You're you're being taken away from your homeland, from where you grew up, to a foreign place and at such a young age. But, as we read the story in Daniel, especially it's been a blessing for us being able to see his story He's able to have a lot of success here in Babylon. So that's what we're going to look at today. But we're not going to look at Daniel's time with the Babylonians per se. Because in the process of time, we see Babylonians come in. They take over Judah, destroy it, flatten it. Take many of these men 
and individuals back to Babylon, including Daniel. And in the process of time, eventually, another big empire rises up and takes over Babylon, the Persian Empire. And we see in Daniel 6, we pick it up, the Persians have come to rule over the previous rulers, the Babylonians. So this is the context. And when we read Daniel, the first chapter, the first three verses, it says, It pleased Darius, that's the emperor of the Persians at this time, in this context in Daniel, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Those are like overseers. Individuals that would basically oversee different regions. So the empire was divided up into different provinces or regions, and each satrap would have the duty to overlook that particular province or that particular region. So he sent, or he set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one. That the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. And so if you were to read the, the, the before of what was going on in Babylon and Daniel's story, what you would learn is, is that Daniel, God was with him. God rescued him and his fellow believing individuals from many different bad situations. Daniel had the ability to interpret dreams and see visions and things like this. And here, even though there's been a changeover of administration from the Babylonians to the Persians, Daniel's still enjoying the success. So much to Darius almost thinking about setting the entire kingdom, empire, over or in the hands of Daniel. So the question we have to ask, what was it about Daniel that gave him so much success here in the Babylonian, now Persian Empire? Well, the Bible tells us because there was this excellent spirit in him. That's what's referred to here in the Scriptures. The New English translation, the Net translation says, an extraordinary spirit. And the NIV says, an exceptional quality. That's how it's translated in those two texts. But we know that this is because the Spirit of God was with Daniel. The Spirit of God was with Daniel. Because of this, it earned him three things. Three things, or several things, more than just three, that we can look at. Number one, a good reputation with the king. Secondly, the ability and leadership and skill to have success and whatever he was set over. And third, favor and influence. Favor and influence. So, as we look at this, he's given these things. He's blessed because of this spirit that's in him. Because we know his faithfulness to God. But it also brings some things that aren't so good for him. It brings jealousy from the ungodly. People didn't like the success that Daniel had here in the Persian Empire. 
as Daniel becomes more and more esteemed and distinguished, it sets off jealousy from those who worked around him. Some of this jealousy became so hot, so contentious, so strong, that individuals around him began conspiring how they could figure out to get rid of this Daniel. Let's read on in verses 4 through 9. So in verse 4 it says, Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything or criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius! We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. And so Daniel living in this realm makes people jealous. The other satraps, the other governors that are beside him, they don't like this Daniel. They don't like that favor and influence that Daniel has gotten because of his successes. And so in their minds, they're thinking, how can we get rid of this individual? They know that they can't do anything politically. They can't, hey, you know, we can just find out, you know, whenever maybe sometimes he doesn't tell the truth or maybe sometimes he tries to, you know, steal or maybe he, he tries to do things that aren't really, you know, for the good of the empire but maybe for himself. They knew that Daniel was circumspect, that his integrity rose above any of that. You weren't going to find any corrupt politicizing or politicianing with Daniel. So what do they do? They had to figure out a way, scheme a plan that they knew would entrap Daniel. And that had to do with creating something that would ensnare him where he would have no you know, recourse, so to speak. And this is a common theme in the Bible that we see. And we can think about this happening to our Savior, Jesus Christ. What happens whenever He is arrested? He's brought to the higher power to be sentenced to death. And so these individuals are trying to go to the higher power to figure out a way to, in a lot of ways, trick the king, trick Darius into putting some law into effect that they know would trip up Daniel. But in spite of this, Daniel would not forfeit his faithfulness to God, but rather would be uncompromising in it. So that's the third thing that we learn about Daniel. His uncompromising faith in verses 10 through 17. So, we're going to read those in a minute, but let's just think about Daniel's situation. And let's just think about our own. Daniel had two choices, essentially. Okay? 
Daniel had two choices. He could either give up his duty to God. He could have been tempted and to say, you know what? Man, Darius, he, he really likes me. I have, I'm, I'm, I've proved myself to be loyal to him. I've shown, you know, I'm, good, I'm in good standing with him. You know, he's never done me wrong. I've never done him wrong. What's he going to think about this? Some other things that could be going through his mind was, you know, I really don't want to be in a den of lions. That's not really something that I wake up and think about, you know, wanting to do. That's something that we, most of us would probably never want to do. And so he knows that not only is his potential good standing with the king on the line, but also what's on the line is maybe potentially his very life. Or the second option, the more difficult option, the option that took courage was to stand fast and stay faithful to God. So let's read on in 10 through 17 and let's look at Daniel's response in 10. Verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And so here you have these individuals conspiring, obviously. They go and catch Daniel and what they know that they would catch Daniel in. And they go running to the king as soon as they could. Look! Darius, look what's happening. Look what Daniel's doing. Remember what you said? You said any individual that's praying to anyone other than yourself or bowing the head shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, The thing is true. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which, is, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah. Interesting how they put it. You know, you can't trust him. He's kind of a foreigner. He's from Judah. That individual from Judah does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored to the going down of the sun to deliver him. In other words, put this in plain language, he's trying to figure out a way to get out of this. Even the king is unhappy about what he's heard. And not just unhappy that Daniel did this, but he's unhappy, he's kind of grieved that he has this law that's been signed and it can't be altered. But he has this individual that he respects and knows is, is loyal and, and does a great job and, and is very talented and obviously has some power working with him. So he tries to figure out all day, what can I do? Is there a way? Is there another option? Is there, is there a way that I can get out of this? Then these men approached the king and said to the king, No, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes 
may be changed. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, He will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords. And the purpose concerning Daniel uh, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. So in the midst of great pressure we see Daniel's faith. The courage that it took in his faith. There's two things that we can learn from this particular instance. This particular instance to decide to be take the courageous road. Number one, Daniel's faith is shown in his refusal to submit to this ungodly law despite the possible consequences. Even though the punishment was possibly death. But secondly, we can also say or show or look at that spirit, that extraordinary spirit, that's what enabled him to be able to do this. This past Pentecost, here at the, or at the Tulsa Church, we kind of, uh, we did something a little different. Uh, we, essentially, after Passover took place, we, we went through six different topics. We, we came up with a Bible study uh, that we did uh, with our congregation for, for six weeks, six different topics leading up to Pentecost, and we titled it The Path to Pentecost. And so in this, this story, or in this Bible study, rather, uh, what we did was, is we took these six topics that we felt were important topics that people, if we looked at the disciples turned apostles, and if we looked at the children of Israel, you know, when they were delivered, we were kind of, you know, in, looking at both those and the parallels, and, and leaving this world, or leaving Egypt, and going towards the promised land, we know the physical promised land, and the spiritual promised land, the, the kingdom of God coming out of this world, you know, what are the different things, the different characteristics that those ancient Israelites as well as the, the uh, disciples turned apostles had to have? That it was essential for them to be successful in their journey and to develop into the mature people of God that they were intended to, uh, in, intended to develop into. And so we looked at faith and we looked at hope, we looked at love, we looked at wisdom, we looked at patience. And the last one, right before Pentecost was power. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because one of the things that we did in, in this Bible study is we kind of took a snapshot. You know, the before and after, you know, we do the kind of before and after. This is what someone looked like before, maybe a fitness program. This is what they looked like after they lost a bunch of weight or they put on a bunch of muscle or this is what a person knew before they went through some sort of program or course. This is what the person knows afterwards. Well, we looked at a snapshot, the before and after, with the disciples turned apostles. And let's just think about that. Let's think about that for a moment because what we were talking about power, what does the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit bring to us? It brings power. And one of the greatest examples and demonstrations of this power is when we look at disciples like Peter, like John. And we see all of them. What happens at Jesus' arrest? They completely flee Him. In fact, we see Peter denies Him three times right in front of Jesus. They, they from afar off watch as the Lord is tried, is beaten, is crucified. 
In fact, there's even one part, not only did, they, did, did, did it prompt them to flee because of their fear, but we even see Peter, when being asked, hey, I know that you know this man, you're, you know, you're a Galilean, just like that guy that's over there on trial. No, I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. The fear even caused them to, to not even tell the truth. But what's interesting is, is that you turn over to Acts. And that day of Pentecost comes, and that Spirit comes on the disciples, now turned apostles. And we see those same individuals that acted like cowards. And I'm not saying that in judgment. Because I'm pretty sure that I would have been the same character. It's very easy for us to judge those individuals. You know, we kind of have that, that ability to, to, to look and see the whole story as it unfolds, right? Okay? We, we kind of have the benefit of, of reading. And these things were written down for our, you know, for, for our benefit. And so it, I'm not saying that in, in, in criticism. I'm just saying that in observation. In comparison to what we see in Acts, the Holy Spirit comes. And we see at the Holy Spirit that the same men that they were scared of before, they were scared of these individuals. They wanted to flee from them. These individuals that were arresting Jesus and they were trying Him and they were putting Him on a cross or a stake. And they were putting Him to death. And they watched from afar off. This individual that for three and a half years followed and loved, but the fear overcame them. But these same men that arrested Jesus and brought Him to trial and brought Him to Pilate, individuals from the Sanhedrin, from the Pharisaic camp, from the Sadducee camp, these same individuals, they bring Peter, they bring John, they bring these other apostles and say, why are you preaching this man, Jesus? Peter and John and Acts, in the very early part of Acts, they, they are in the temple preaching the Word of God, the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah. And in front of men, if you were to just read Acts 4, 18-20, it says, So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot speak the things which we have seen and heard. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Man. That is a before and after. That's what the Spirit of God does for us. That's the courage that we're talking about. That's the courage that the Spirit enables us to have. That's that same Spirit that enabled Daniel in the face of lions to be able to stand up and choose the courageous path. The courageous path. So, let's look at God's deliverance. Let's look at Daniel 6, 18-23. The last little bit, and then we're going to get to three different spiritual applications. Implications. Verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting with no musicians were brought before him. And his sleep, and also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. I mean, look at this situation. This, this king, this Gentile king, didn't know the God of Israel except through Daniel. And Daniel had proven himself to be so reliable 
that even him didn't want anything to happen to him. Verse 19, Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, as your God whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And as the passage says here, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth because I was found innocent before him. Daniel did not do anything wrong. and We know that. But rather he did something right. He did something courageous. He did something that was commendable. Especially for us that understand it's difficult sometimes to do the right thing. The scripture tells us in verse 23, So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him, because he believed in his God. He had the courage to have faith. He had the courage to act on righteousness. Let's consider what resulted from this. It resulted, number one, in the destruction of Daniel's rivals, as we'll see if you read on in the story. The king decides that the individuals that created this trap for Daniel, they would be the ones that would be thrown into the den of lions. That's in verse 24. Secondly, it resulted in the king of Persia, Darius, giving honor and glory to the true God. We're going to read that in verse 25 through 27. So if we read verse 25 of Daniel 6, and I know I'm kind of trying to skip ahead a little bit to get us on time. But Daniel, verse 25 through 26, here in chapter 6, it says, Then King Darius wrote this, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. That's pretty powerful. It's very unique. It's a very unique situation in the Bible seeing foreign Gentile nations praising the God of the Israelites. It happens, but it's very unique. There's some that fear and tremble, but not necessarily make decree that you have to worship and tremble at this very God that Daniel has, the God of the universe. For He is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall, be shall not be destroyed and His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And so we see the courage, we see the results that ensues because Daniel had the courage to keep his faith. He had the courage to act on righteousness. I have three implications, three applications, three things that we can glean from this. This story as a whole. Number one, faith and courage in God can sometimes make your life more difficult. At least in the short term. Sometimes it can bring trials. Sometimes it can bring opposition. 
Sometimes it can bring enemies. We already know that this is the case with several individuals all throughout the Bible, including our Lord Jesus Christ, who ultimately was the great example, the best example, the perfect example that we have for someone being courageous in the face of opposition to always taking the courageous, righteous road and path. Secondly, and just to kind of bring out a scripture, just if you want to keep this in the back of your mind, one of my favorite scriptures, one of my favorite books, James chapter 1, verse 2-5 through five, says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may perf- uh, be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, here's the part I really love, and the part that I really cling to, because I'm going to tell you right now, I need wisdom. Okay? There's many times, and you can ask my wife, and you can ask people around me a lot, there's times I lack wisdom and I need it. Okay? So I really cling to this last part, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so remember, sometimes having the courage to have faith, having the courage to do the righteous thing will bring us trouble. Trouble with friends and peers, trouble at work, trouble with family, sometimes it will come. Secondly, faith and courage, something a little bit more positive, although we know that faith and courage and righteousness and taking the righteous high road can sometimes bring opposition, the beautiful thing is, is that faith and courage in God can stop the mouths of lions, both obviously literally as we see in this story, but more spiritually is what I'm talking about. That's powerful. We see this happen with the disciples and turned apostles. Okay? Sometimes stories that happen that when all odds are against you, here you have Daniel, a human being that's put in a den with a lion. And these lions didn't touch him. He was put in an impossible situation. And I'm pretty sure that these lions were probably withheld food-wise. I mean, they probably didn't give this lion food to make sure that they were hungry. Make sure that they would, you know, take care of business whenever they wanted to put someone in that den with them. And despite this, God shut the mouth of those lions. That's a powerful message because it speaks volumes to the God that we have in His power. He can make the impossible possible. And when all odds are against us, when He's for us, remember, He's greater. The third thing I want to look at, the last thing, we're here to observe the Feast of Tabernacles. And we know what that means. We know what that represents. It represents that kingdom that kingdom of God on this earth. When that gospel message of the kingdom will finally be fulfilled on this earth. And we won't have to worry about things like we do now. When there won't be, you know, all these different, you know, corrupt situations. We won't have, you know, the problems that we see in our politics, the problems that we see in our government, the problems that we see in our business world or corporate world horrible things that we have to endure sometimes if we just want to watch the news or read a newspaper, those things will be gone. Those things will be gone. 
But, in the meantime, we come to this feast and we look forward. We look to the future, right? But we also know that we still have a present to live out. And that's my third point. Is give us something to think about as we're in the present. As the scripture tells us, we're ambassadors for Christ. We're like, you know, citizens of a foreign nation, the kingdom of God, but we are here on behalf of God to represent Him. And so while we're in the present, we are ambassadors. We are representatives of that kingdom of God that's soon going to come. My third thing is that faith and courage in God can be a witness to those around us. A witness to those around us. And we know that. That's what we're here for. God wants us to be a witness to those around us. Look at what happened when Darius saw the faith that Daniel had. Darius saw the characteristics, the qualities that obviously exuded him because of the spirit that was in him, because of the faith that he had in his God. Daniel's actions acted as an evangelical tool to the king of the Persian Empire. You have a foreign king praising the God of the universe, the God of Israel, because of Daniel's witness. And his witness wasn't him just preaching to him and telling him. That's important too for us. But his witness was his actions. If you've heard me speak, I've said this many times. It's a quote that I really, really like, but I think it's so true that I think that it's worth saying multiple times and often. You are the only Bible that most people will ever read. What do I mean by that? Your actions. You and the way you live your life, the attitudes you have, the courageous paths of faith that you take before individuals, before people, will be the closest that many people will ever come to a Bible. Remember that especially as we come close to concluding this, this, this feast. Alright, so, I have two more things. One more thing I want to do. As we look to the young people, I want you guys to know two things, two scriptures. If you don't remember anything that I say today, I want you to memorize these scriptures. They're important. And they're true. The first one comes from Psalm 31:24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Hope in God. Be strong. Secondly, Joshua 1:9. Know this, God will always be with you. This is when God's talking to Joshua. Let me give you a little context. Joshua just got the leadership from Moses. Moses was leading the children of Israel the entire time. Moses wasn't allowed to enter into the promised land. But Joshua was appointed the new leader. Joshua was the brand new leader leading these individuals into this new land. He'd just taken the realms. God had just given it to him. God says this to Joshua, who must have been, think about it, much younger than Moses, brand new to this role. He'd be the one, the 
unseasoned, of course we know that he was a leader before this, but not the leader of the entire nation. He has the duty to take this huge nation of Israel into this new land. And remember, this new land, it's not like the hotel rooms or the condos that we come to, that when we arrive, they're nicely prepared for us. They're occupied by foreign nations. There's work to be done. In other words, you're going to have to remove these nations before they're able to assume this land. God says this, Be strong and courageous. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The path of righteousness takes courage. It's difficult. It's not easy. I implore you, though, to remember these two things. You can always have hope in God. He's faithful to whatever He says. He wants what's best for you. And He's always with you. He'll never leave you. He'll always be there present with you. It won't always be easy. But He'll always lead you in the right path. And if we have the courage to take the righteous path, we can just look at the stories of Daniel. God always will come out on top and bless us for when we take the righteous path.